Hello and welcome to another edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket. I'm your host, Peter Dolpena, and today is the finale of the three-part Don Lockerbie saga. But before we get to that, I want to thank the newest patron on Patreon. We've got an eagle in the house. USA Under-19 Men's National Selection Chairman, Amir Afsaludin. Amir, thank you so much for your support. If you haven't listened to his interview, I recommend everybody go back and download it or stream it or watch it on YouTube. Amir had quite a journey through his time as a player, being the first USA Under-19 player to progress into the men's senior team. So he holds a special place in U.S. cricket history on that front. And he was the first player to score a century for the USA Under-19 national team. So he had some historic accomplishments to his career, and he also had a very... (laughs) historic axing, if you will, from the USA squad on the verge of the 2004 Champions Trophy. He was in the team all the way through the tour of England when they were about to play Australia and New Zealand in that tournament. And then right before the first match, when the final squad had to be submitted, all of a sudden, Amir found himself on the outside of the team. And that helped shape some of his experiences to where he is now as a USA Under-19 National Selection Chairman. And he's also men's selector, so he's got that story to tell and plenty of others. And I recommend again anybody who hasn't listened to that interview by all means go and watch and listen to it so thank you amir for your support as a new patron and anybody else who hasn't joined yet on patreon by all means go and subscribe and show your support there's benefits to being a patron on patreon for the stars and stripes cricket podcast but getting back onto the don lockerby trilogy interview we ended the last episode part two talking with don about the challenges he experienced trying to stage international cricket matches in the usa whether it was the added costs of trying to get a TV broadcast partner and paying $200,000 to ESPN to ensure the games would be televised, whether locally in the USA or around the world, and his negotiations with Lalit Modi to potentially have IPL matches in Las Vegas. So that's where we left off. And now we get to part three where Don talks about some of his other plans for USA during his tenure as CEO. That includes Project 15. Many people will remember was part of his initiative to get USA into the top 15 in international cricket and all the programs associated with that. And then we talk about the Nepal match, the epic Nepal match where the riot happened in Kathmandu at World Cricket League Division 5 in 2010, as well as Don's perspective and Don's version of events. On his firing, Don was let go in November 2010 in very murky circumstances. He's giving his side of the story now, and you'll get a chance to listen to that. So we'll cover all that in the final part of the Don Lockerbie trilogy. But before that, the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket is also sponsored by Musa Cricket Stadium, the first and original turf wicket facility in the state of Texas. For more information, call 713-534-2195. That's Musa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas. And now, part three of the Don Lockerbie Trilogy interview. Project 15 was one of the big things you unveiled to try and promote and build up the ambitions of cricket in the USA. And and the chief objective of that was to get USA into the top 15 of the rankings, global rankings by 2015. One of the ways to achieve that, I know talking with you off air, was you had a a kind of a long-term strategic plan in terms of development for recruiting players from outside cricket, getting players involved who are ex-NCAA Division I athletes. This is something I've written about recently for 
as a recruitment mechanism potentially for women's cricket in the USA because at the moment the barrier to entry is so low to break into the national team why not approach 21 22 year olds graduating seniors from field hockey softball golf tennis you name it whose careers may be ending as a college senior there's no professional pathway for them going forward and there's a golden opportunity for them to break into USA cricket with the women's team and travel the world and who wouldn't want to represent USA doesn't matter if it's USA tiddlywinks or USA softball or USA cricket whatever you're playing for USA it's a great honor and you get to have all these amazing experiences you had a very similar plan identical plan for for men's cricket specifically I understand with again trying to recruit reads and NCAA division one college baseball athletes as a mechanism to try and build up the talent depth and the squad strength for the USA men in order to help achieve moving up the ladder for this Project 15 vision. What happened that that plan didn't come to fruition? Okay, Peter. You absolutely said everything correctly. And let me just say that Project 15, uh, I stole from work that I had been doing in Singapore uh, in the early 2000s, where I was brought in to help Singapore develop a master plan for sport venues and sport participation. And uh, they called it 2030 because it was going to take them 15 or 20 years to try and get professional athletes in Singapore and build new venues. And if you actually look and see what Singapore has done, they're following that plan. So 2015 was because of two reasons. I thought, okay, I'll give five or six years (laughs) to USA Cricket and I'll see how we can do it. Secondly, what I've already spoken about, professionalizing the sport was my number one goal because I wanted youth. Everybody said it was trickle down. You're gonna get the money and, 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 and give it to our national team. You're, you're damn right I wanted to do that. But my national team was gonna be 50 players and, and that would allow 13 year olds to say, hey, one day I'm gonna be a professional too. So there was that. And don't forget American college cricket was just starting too. And so the idea that there would be some potential NCAA cricket I loved all the things were moving in that direction, but you're right. My plan was to talk to baseball and for the ladies softball teams to basically even go to their national Olympic federations. Because remember at that time, baseball and softball were Olympic sports. And I was going to sit down with those federations. In fact, I did sit down with those federations. And I talked about the fact that you're only going to put 11 on the field and you know what? You have probably another 11 sitting on the dugout. So you got 22 Americans. What about the other 150 that would be really, really good, but might want to be entertaining that in their off season or forever, they look at the sport of cricket. And I got a thumbs up that we would be interested in having that conversation just because it was going to take college athletes. You know, I was a University of North Carolina head coach. So as we know, and so I was talking to the baseball coaches there and, and other ACC coaches and in the state of Florida, I could go down to Miami where we have an amazing baseball program. And I basically was just saying, your athletes, they go to minor leagues, they try for a few years, the ones who get to go up to the big leagues, wonderful experience. How many of your players get any of that? Well, it's like 3%. So where are the other 97% doing? There's not even a whole lot of leagues, softball leagues, yeah, but you know how many hardball baseball leagues are there for athletes who are not in minor league baseball? So my attitude was, I'm going to create a side program. I've got my U.S. national team. I'm going to keep moving it in the direction, but I wanted to create 50 baseball players, 50 softball players, 
and bring in world-class coaches, excuse me, with the help of Cricket New Zealand and friends from the West Indies to come in and coach. Let's just say we brought in 50 players for a two-week program. Are you telling me that baseball players who have been in the gym and hitting baseballs since they were nine years old in Little League and, and working out and then had a 60-game, 40-game season for their universities, but weren't good enough to make get a pro contract, that if we had the best coaches from West Indies and the best coaches from New Zealand, we couldn't find five, six, seven, ten of them that could actually crush a six, place a four, catch a ball barehanded. I'm not sure about bowling, but let's just start with the batting and the fielding. And then take it from there. And if, in fact, five of them, ten of them were any good, I would bring them into the national team camp. they got to still make the team. What I was told was, stay off that plan by my board until you've professionalized current players of the U.S. national team. That if I wanted to make cricket in the United States for the population that supports it currently and plays it currently, that I needed to go ahead and make sure I found a way to professionalize those athletes that were making the U.S. national team or could be called the pool of the U.S. national team. So part of my 2015 was derailed, but I didn't let it derail. I still had conversations with the federations. And in my conversations with Cricket New Zealand, we agreed that this would be one of the programs once the contract was signed. But I also was sensitive to the fact that the families, the coaches, the players who had given so much to cricket since whenever, 1960s or the 1840s, deserved to have those players respected as the U.S. national team. So, but just like anything else, I mean, let's just look at college basketball. You recruit, you bring in a high school kid, you try to make him a professional. And same with all other sports. My track and field career went great until I ran two or three bad races in a row. And then I got a letter from my shoe company saying, thank you, but no, thank you. Your career is over. So I, I lived the hard lessons of being a pro athlete. And if you show up 20 pounds overweight and I'm calling you to find out how your batting sessions are going in the middle of winter and you're not going at all. And I've got to put a team that's going to go to Nepal in a few weeks. Why wouldn't I want to have? players maybe even stationed in South Florida. So I was looking to create dorms or housing in South Florida, create the, the, the U.S. national team, and try to come up with enough money to pay these guys so they didn't have to work at gas stations and 7-Elevens or drive UPS trucks. They could actually be a full-fledged, full-time professional cricket. The hope, again, we talked about in the first session was that this would be an Olympic team. I could see baseball players and particularly softballers who might not make the U.S. Olympic softball team or baseball team, but heck, you could be on the cricket team. And I was really hoping and pushing at every ICC meeting possible that for the United States to really become the nation they hoped for, and I said China too, you needed to create a T20 opportunity in the Olympic Games. And I was being told that the BCCI was against cricket in the Olympics because it would water down uh, the international schedule every four years. And I said, come on, you know, we got to find a way. But, you know, because, by the way, right off the bat, the day that U.S. cricket, USA cricket now, right, 
is part of the Olympic program, and I know we're an associate or an affiliate of the Olympic program, but once we are an official sport, there's millions of dollars that automatically comes to this sport because you're an Olympic sport. So I was hopeful, and I absolutely was pushing that program. One of the first people I was going to bring in also was, don't forget that the well-noted, highly regarded Australian fielding coach. Mike Young. American baseball. Mike Young. Mike Young, yep. Mike Young and I spoke about this for months, how I would bring Mike Young in to help identify baseballers that he knew could become cricketers. So he was going to be my my selection committee, to be honest, and then let, let the other cricket coaches take over coaching them. But I knew Mike Young could probably line up 50 baseball players in a weekend. Uh, didn't get the chance to take it any further than that and laughed every time I was watching the movie or heard about the uh, million dollar arm movie where the opposite took place, where some Indian fast bowlers became baseball pitchers for the Pittsburgh Pirates. I love that movie. And I, I basically was saying, okay, this is my plan. It's been my plan since the interview. It was part of my interview package and it was part of the presentation I made. But I flat out got told, yeah, okay, sounds like a good idea, but let's get the current national team professionalized before you start bringing in baseball players. It's not fair. And I basically said, uh, professional sports is not fair. You, you make your contract for a year or two or three if you're lucky, and you know what? The next best player comes along and you're out. But we didn't want to hear that back then. One of the things I, I wanted to ask you that I'm sure a lot of people, not just in the USA, but outside of the USA, particularly in Nepal, want to hear about is, is your memories of World Cricket League Division Five in Nepal. And I think one of the very hidden stories to that epic match that USA played in Nepal in was that I was very privileged to get to witness was you gave a very inspirational speech on the team bus the day before, two days before that match, from talking to various players who played for USA, starting at under-19 level, I remember talking to, to the under-19 kids who were in Canada at the World Cup qualifier in Canada. They beat Ireland. A lot of people don't remember this, that USA beat Ireland at the qualifier. Ireland finishes the tournament champions and qualified for New Zealand, as did USA. But USA beat Ireland. USA had the player of the tournament, Ryan Corns, who okay. beat out. Paul Sterling, uh, who's now had an incredibly successful international career. Paul Sterling was in that team. Andy Balberni, who is now the Ireland captain in all formats, was the captain of the under-19 team at that event. And USA beat them. Very, it was, it was a very competitive match, but USA won convincingly. And talking to the kids, they said before that game, you gave them a, a very motivational speech. And I know talking to a few of the kids, they said, we almost wish Don Lockerbie was our head coach. Because Don Lockerbie motivated us in a way that the coaches that were part of the team, Sue Shivnerine in particular was the head coach, again, former test cricketer for the West Indies, had all the technical knowledge and the technical skills and could communicate technical things. But in terms of being a motivator, the kids didn't really respond to him in that way. Whereas when you came into certain situations, the kids, I remember talking to them, it was like, oh my God, we've never heard such a speech like this before. Like, can we have Don at every match? And I got to see that firsthand in Nepal. It was after USA lost to Singapore. So USA won their first three matches. They lose to Singapore. Again, going back to the previous episode, this was at a time where graciously, magnanimously, you allowed me to ride the team bus <laughs> to and from the grounds because logistically it was just a nightmare to try and get to the ground independently. So if I could 
hitch a ride on one of the team buses to get just to and from the ground. That was something that you happily uh, graciously agreed to. So before I, I got off the bus, the team had a, a very bad loss to Singapore. Singapore is a good team, and USA has always struggled against Singapore over the years. Very competitive associate side. Singapore in T20 cricket was at the T20 World Cup qualifier in October 2019, and USA did not qualify for that event. So Singapore has been quite competitive over the years. This event in 2010 in Nepal, USA loses to Singapore on day four. Bad loss. They really got demolished. I think it was like a 99-run loss or 100-run loss. It was it was just not a competitive game. The atmosphere on the bus, everybody's quiet. We get to the hotel parking lot, and before everybody can get off the bus, you jump up out of the front seat, you stand up, and you've got your... USA track and field jacket from like the 1970s on and you give this incredible speech and I, I wanted to like put on a USA uniform and like get on the field in a couple of days it was incredible and I felt like watching the game a couple of days later and seeing that how events unfolded and how the riots unfolded I thought Don Lockerbie's speech may have sparked a riot in Nepal and Kathmandu because the USA players came out that day and had just came out with incredible energy that they didn't have a couple days earlier what do you remember about that speech and that sequence and what do you remember from your perspective about how that day unfolded with usa on the way to victory and then all hell broke loose peter thanks for remembering those are interesting stories let me just say going back to even toronto with the u19 team i i love those players i love the u.s men's national senior team too while I was the CEO and not a coach. And I wanted to always make sure my coaches were in charge of their players. I witnessed what I felt needed to be a kick in the pants. And uh, I'm the son of Bruce Lockerbie. I was raised to be a professional athlete by a professional athlete. And I was always given that kind of motivational, this is what you need to do today. And this is what you have to focus on. And, I'm not sure those boys had been raised that way or had coaches that way. So I just want to take advantage in both of those situations that they understood how important and what a game changer this could be for their lives. I made it very clear to the under 19s that I was in the process of creating a professional team. They could make a living in this sport, but no one's going to support me if you guys go out there and lose big. You know, and let's go out there and play like champions. And that's what I was always told. Be a champion in everything you do. The way you wake up in the morning, your nutrition, your whatever obligations are from school to work, the way you dress, the way you speak, the way you talk, everything has to be, you know, the way a professional athlete would be. And I started with that, but it doesn't, doesn't happen unless we go out there and win. Do me a favor, boys, and let's go out and win. Let's make headlines. Let's go beat Australia the under-19 team at the World Cup. I remember that speech. And we we came close against Australia. USA was the only team. Now, Australia finished to quickly to cut in. Australia won the under-19 World Cup. USA was the only team in that tournament to take 10 wickets against Australia. Right. Only team who bowled Australia out was USA. You know, in that Singapore match, going back to Nepal, we played on a very short field on a very bad pitch. And you know, I think Singapore batted first, and they got advantage of the pitch being okay, and we're just slamming fours on, on that pitch. And by the time we got up, the pitch had totally degraded. So the Singapore spinners just wrecked USA with the pitch deteriorating. Yeah, we were destroyed. So that was, that was that experience. So now here I am, and we've got to play 
Nepal, in Nepal, in order to, to actually move to the next level. And I just made it clear. You're the most hated 20 people in this country because we can ruin Nepal's story. You've got to go out there and realize that, you know, this is your future. This is your destiny. You got yourself here from whatever you, your parents, your coaches, you know, your own desire, your destiny. But if you don't go out there today and remember that you're wearing USA on your uniform and that everybody hates you and that this fan group came to see you get destroyed. They saw or heard about Singapore. They expect the same thing out in Nepal. Now you guys need to go out there. And if you ever watch any other professional sport, you're the dream team. I told them, you're the dream team. We could have picked 20 other guys. We picked you. The dream team in, in Barcelona and basketball destroyed the rest of the Olympic world. Yeah, they had the Michael Jordans. They had the they had the uh, the great names, the Larry Birds, and they, they you know all the great players of that 1992 dream team basketball team. You're the dream team. You need to go out there and be it. There has to be total confidence. But I also told them something that was always good for me from my father and other coaches, and it's my it's, it'll be on my gravestone, Peter. My father used to uh, wait until there was a certain moment in my 800 meter race where he would shout at the top of his lungs, relax and go. And relax and go always meant that that was the part of the race where I should drop my arms, shake myself out, and I'm in the middle of race, take a deep breath, blow out a deep breath, relax, and then sprint like hell to the finish line and win the race. And I told him, I said, you know, when Michael Jordan takes a, a shot, his tongue is out. He's relaxed. He's not stressed. And Michael told me that the reason he has his tongue out when he takes that is he's relaxed. If you're stressed, you're not going to make that shot. I said, so I want you to be relaxed. I want you to have fun. But I want you to go out there. And as you relax and go, you've got that USA on your uniform. I don't care where you were born. I don't care what language you speak. You are the American dream team. Go out and make it a nightmare for Nepal. And that's what you would have heard as I got those boys off the bus. And then a couple <laughs> of days later, it was a nightmare for Nepal and it was a nightmare for the Americans at one stage in that ground too because we didn't know if we were going to be able to get out of the stadium safely. We're winning by a decent margin, right? If I remember correctly, rocks are being thrown onto the field. I, the stadium had a nice grass grandstand around, well, not even a grandstand, just a hill, right? It's a, ter a terrace hill, kind of. A terrace yeah. hill around the, the, the very nice uh, stadium. But it had a rock wall of loose rocks that kind of was the back of the stadium. And, and Nepalese, God bless them, because I had enjoyed our time there, were taking rocks out of the rock wall and throwing them at our players. And at first it was kind of like funny, okay, just one or two angry guy. But then hundreds of rocks made it onto the field. And then they started throwing them at our teams, at our team's bench. And our team did have a little bit of an interior area. And we had no place to go except to hide in our bench. And then the ICC called everybody off the field. And they were going to call the game on a Duckworth-Lewis, and nobody wanted that. And uh, all of a sudden, either the Army or the Nepalese police 
went into the grandstands with tear gas. And as you'll recall, it, that tear gas went everywhere. It was making its way to our, <laughs> to our bench too. And by the way, I had an aunt and an uncle at the game. They had been missionaries in Bangladesh and made their way <laughs> to watch the US national team. And so here I have my, my wonderful 70 year old aunt and her husband, my uncle, there to watch and they'd been at all the games. You know, and now everybody knew that it was my Aunt Jeannie and Uncle Wally, and everybody was concerned for their safety. And your safety, too, Peter. And uh, in the end, uh, the ICC decided that we're going to finish the game. And I'll tell you, when I think about my bowlers and Usman Suja and, and, and my batsmen, and, you know, if I recall, remember that uh, who's our batsman from Houston who, who, had, who, who wasn't allowed to leave his job on time, and we had to fly him to get to Nepal and the Carney, Ned Carney. Social Ned Carney, social Ned Carney, yep. That team, they gelled. And I will tell you, we actually gelled maybe two days earlier. I don't know if you remember the story. I hope I invited you on the bus. When I was 17, I'd been to Nepal before with my family. And one of the great things was to take a bus ride as close to base camp as we could get and then walk to base camp and we didn't actually make it to base camp when I was 17, but we got to see sunrise over Mount Everest. And so I arranged for a bus to take the U.S. national team to a, a monastery, I think we went to, yep. so that yep. we could see Mount Everest. And I told them, there's your mountain, boys. Nobody wants to hear that you only made it halfway. You didn't come this far not to get to the summit. And I think that we just gelled. And these guys were dedicated. And again, I was promising them something I wish I was able to deliver, that you win this game, we move up to the next level, you help me professionalize you. What I remember about driving up to that monastery was the roads were so narrow and so windy going up the mountainside that at one point we had two wheels hanging over the cliff. And I thought, oh, this will make a good story. U.S. team <laughs> crashes and burns to their death going, going to see Mount Everest. <laughs> See, I'm glad I invited you. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad you can tell the story. Yes, it was a hair-raising. I think some of our guys thought I, I should have been you know, out of my mind then. But I, I just wanted them to see. You know, I, did, I, I wanted us to be able to come. One of the other things that we did is I set up a meeting at the U.S. Embassy. Did we invite you to the, uh, the yeah. dinner? And you were a valued, a valued member of the media. So we went to the U.S. Embassy and they fed us. And we got to present what cricket was and how important it was. And the U.S. ambassador is telling us how important sport is in Nepal. And it was a blessing to have the United States team there. These were great days. Great days for me. Today's edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket is also sponsored by Musa Cricket Stadium, the first and original turf wicket facility in the state of Texas, located at 5515 McKeever Road in Perlin, just five miles off the Bailey Road exit from State Route 288, a half hour south of downtown Houston. Musa Cricket Stadium includes fully enclosed locker rooms and change rooms, plus shower facilities after a day's play, as well as outdoor nets for all your training needs. Aside from the main turf stadium ground, there is now a second ground at the facility open for use. For more information, call 713-534-2195 Musa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas. A couple of things there just I, I want to run through quick. Going to the embassies, I mean, just building relationships like that is something that you were really big on. Tapping into your connections was was really special to the players, and it was special to kind of build up the profile of the team. And in recent years, 
that has kind of been lacking. I remember in 2019, USA was on a, a warm-up tour to the UAE, and it wasn't an ICC event. They were going to the UAE to, to play six matches against the UAE. They played a, a match against Lancashire. It was more of a training tour and just kind of a build-up match experience ahead of going to World Cricket League Division Two in Namibia a couple of months later, which was a more important tournament where ODI status was online. But there was an awful lot of downtime in the UAE. They were there for about three weeks. And I remember somebody from the uh, Abu Dhabi Consul General's office contacted me because he was sending messages and emails to the USA coaching staff and management and getting ignored. And he reached out to me and said, hey, you know, I've been I've been trying to get these guys on the phone. We'd like to welcome them and have a welcome function right. at the U.S. Consul General in, in Abu Dhabi or in Dubai, either location. We'd really like to invite them. This is exciting to have a USA national team in the country. And I think it was literally weeks after either the Special Olympics or some sort of global event was in the UAE. And the USA national team contingent from that was welcomed to the embassy. And they wanted to extend the same courtesy and same offer to the cricketers. And they were getting ignored. And then I I, I got the message from them, uh, from the, this liaison. And I forwarded on to the coaches and I said, hey, this would be a really special thing to go to the embassy and ha- be welcomed. Have you guys responded to them? Or, you know, what's the situation? And the, and the response is like, yeah, yeah, you know, we'll think about it. Maybe, maybe some future tour. And it, it never happened. And then when USA went back in December of 2019, there wasn't even an, an invite, an invitation offer because they were offended. The offer was made. The USA cricket management blew them off. And so then that relationship gets burned. And you can't afford to do those things if you're trying to build up the profile of the national team, build up the profile of the sport. Those things kind of baffle me. Um, and then one of the other things he said, one of the, the myth mythological elements of that Nepal match, which you confirmed for me, there was tear gas. They were shooting tear gas into the crowd. They did, without (laughs) question. What happened was, I reported it at the time. I was reporting it live, typing it out to the world. There was definitely tear gas. No question. No question. The army informed us that we should stay where we were because they were going into the stands and they were going to remove the fans. And then somebody told me, um, you, 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 you should absolutely stay inside the building that they, they had for us, the dugout, because there's going to be tear gas. So we were alerted because some of our guys were standing outside watching it all, yeah. you know, and, and rocks were still coming close. Nobody got hit. But as I said, we, we had our coaching staff. We had you. We had uh, myself and our team and my aunt and uncle in that dugout, you know, hiding and then the tear gas came. So one of the communications staff from the ICC comes to me later that day or the next morning. I think it was the next morning ahead of, again, the rematch. USA then rematched Nepal in the final. Right. And this staffer will remain uh, nameless, uh, but is no longer with the ICC. And the ICC staff currently I, I have a very good professional relationship with. Okay, But this staffer comes to me and says, Peter, did you report that there was tear gas shot into the crowd? And I said, I said, yes. She says, why did you do that? And I said, well, because there was tear gas shot into the crowd. And she says, Peter, we can't have people around the world thinking that the Nepalese police and ICC tournament organizers are tear gassing fans at cricket events. She says, do you have any photos of this tear gas being shot into the crowd? I said, no. 
So you don't really have any evidence that there was any tear gas, do you? I said, well, I mean, I've got a lot of witnesses who can vouch for it. She says, yeah, but you don't have any actual photographic evidence or clear documentation, do you? I said, no. And she, she said, well, I think you need to delete that then, uh, because otherwise you may struggle to get accreditation at future events. <laughs> and I was just like, ah. <laughs> so, I had pictures, Peter. So, still have pictures. I I know I know there are pictures out there. There are pictures that e exist. I I know there are, but I didn't have my hands on them at the time, so I I very very reluctantly. Well, in the end, the police did what they had to do. I mean, yeah. I had no trouble with the tear gas, frankly. I I wanted the game to be finished. I did not want to lose on a or win on a technicality. Yeah. And um, if that's what it took, that's what it took. And uh, I will tell you also after that game, remember the bus ride home. We, we were escorted by about 5,000 angry fans who were banging on the bus and unhappy and until the police outriders on their motorcycles could get us away from the stadium. Oh, they were completely yeah. useless. We were the most hated people. But let me make it very clear. I loved working with the uh, Nepalese Cricket Federation. They were great people. They couldn't have been more gracious to all the teams. And I really, really had a, a wonderful time there. And that, to me, it's just a great story. Um, yeah. You know, in the end, uh, we did whatever we did. And uh, I think our athletes, you know, went away feeling really, really proud of the effort. By the way, you know, going just back prior to Nepal, the team was in, in the UAE yeah. and actually went and trained in Sharjah for a while. And then we went to Dubai and Abu Dhabi. And again, I set up a meeting with our embassy there and you know those were just the things that i knew as a professional athlete you do and there was always good hospitality just like there is in football and other sports where after the games you you're gentlemen or ladies and you meet and you put on your u.s blazer and you show up and you go and you have a nice drink or party to be that classy ambassador that the u.s national team should always be 100 percent. your exit I remember when it happened, I was I was at the national championships in Florida and it was right in the middle of the national championship weekend in late 2010. And it was very, very sudden. But I remember feeling like something weird could potentially happen because it was in Florida, the national championships, and you weren't there. And you live in Miami Beach. You're based the offices for USA Cricket Association at the time were based in South Florida. And I didn't see you that weekend. I thought, this is a bit weird. Why, why isn't Don Lockerbie here? And then... In the middle of, I think, the final, it emerged you were terminated. terminated. Yes, you were terminated. And when I asked officials what was going on, it was it was kind of a very chaotic thing, all, a lot of things happening at once, because this was supposed to be like the crowning moment. USA national champion was going to be crowned. I'm trying to cover that match. Meanwhile, I find out the CEO has been terminated. And I remember talking to one of my editors at the time, what do I do? What do you want me to cover? And I was told, you focus on the match because you're at the match. I'll sort out the Don Lockerbie story. So don't worry about the Don Lockerbie story. You just focus on the match and we'll get all the bases covered. So I was like, all right, fine, whatever. I'll, I'll cover the match. And then I remember trying to talk to a couple of officials there, board members, and they, nobody was talking. And then over the course of the next couple of months, there were some rumors that were flying around, but nobody actually would, would say anything as to actually what was the actual reason you were let go. And again, going back to the, the time of the tournament, when I was speaking to my editor, he told me, just just focus on the matches. I'll reach out to Don. We'll, we'll take care of that. And so I never actually spoke to you 
at the time. I never spoke to you since. And I want to get your version of why you were let go. It's very simple, Peter. If you insult your board, they're going to fire you. We did have a board meeting two days before the games. So I was at the first day of the board meeting where I was also presenting the final version of the contract with Cricket New Zealand. At the same time, there had been another group that wanted to create a T20 league, and we had been considering them as well. And one of the things I was trying to do was best of both worlds. I was trying to say, okay, here's an organization out of India who is promising a lot of money to kind of start our American cricket league, our American T20. And here's Cricket New Zealand, who's looking at it more holistically. They're talking about professionalizing our athletes, sure, with a T20 league, and professionalizing our administration, so there will be offices and actual people who get paid to work in American cricket, and creating coaching clinics and schools and academies for players and hosting international competitions. And we were in the process. And the process was, let's just at least get Cricket New Zealand on board, holistically. And then we can start finalizing with another player who has made a proposal to us about a T20 league. So let's let one step at a time. I was always taught one step at a time. So I was demanding that my board agree to the Cricket New Zealand proposal. The other group was apparently speaking to board members and saying that if we did that, they'd sue. Well, I was having meetings with them too. And I was saying, look, 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 your shot of being the T20 organizers is great. But when I get New Zealand settled for the whole list, because all, all they cared about, Peter, was a T20 league for six or seven weeks. They were not going to create academies. They didn't care about you know, whether I got India, Pakistan to play, uh, unless it was in one of their venues that they were going to help us develop. And they didn't care about youth cricket. They just wanted a T20 league. So I said, great. We're putting you to the side. You're the next people we talk to. And in fact, I made it clear to New Zealand, these would be the guys we would talk to first. So I thought I had everything smoothed out. But there was all sorts of, let's just say, gamesmanship behind the scenes that maybe Lockerbie didn't know about. So I had board members who weren't ready to sign the New Zealand area because I think they felt a little more comfortable with the T20. In the end, Peter, when you tell your board that they're a bunch of amateurs who didn't have the resume to be the CEO of U.S. cricket, and that when they did a worldwide search to find a U.S., well, to find their first ever CEO of USA cricket, and none of them even applied for the job because they didn't have the resume, I was out of line. I absolutely insulted my board but I was serious. I could see that the New Zealand deal was going to fail because of some hidden agendas I wasn't aware of. And I was just angry. And so at the end of that day, I left. I walked out of the board meeting. I got some calls saying you shouldn't have said that, but we agree with you. You're right. And I got other texts and messages and said some bad names that I needed to apologize. And I said, look, I said what I said because I mean what I said. I brought a deal to the table that was going to change USA cricket forever in the United States. And it was with one of the great federations. By the way, they also, the U.S. 
the U.S. Constitution was still a mess. I don't know how it got proposed. And even Cricket New Zealand was going to help us restructure. We were going to do the whole country, a new constitution, new election bylaws, redo the whole cricket narrative in the United States. And that's what they were upset about, too. I think they feared for their positions. Instead of saying, look, who doesn't want to be Cricket New Zealand? Who doesn't want to be like Cricket Australia? Instead, they all had their own little fiefdom. So I insulted the board. And when you do that, you get terminated. And they woke up the next morning at four o'clock in the morning with a letter that said, you're terminated and please don't show up at today's board meeting or at the competitions. So I, I abided by that and waited for it to be over. And I met with then two gentlemen afterwards and we negotiated my, my deal to leave, let's say. And I've never spoken about it. And I'm still going to say that in the end, I agreed with them. I was out of place, but I saw something I'd worked so hard and, and believed in so much and had the ICC support and Cricket New Zealand support in doing what I was doing. And I even contacted them and I said, you know, I may be fired here in the next 36 hours, but I did what I had to do. And New Zealand supported me and the ICC supported me, but my board was insulted. For that, I'm apologetic. I should have handled it in a better way. I learned a lot from that. I was insulting, but I've never looked back. And uh, my career has gone on to bigger and better things. Just a few bigger and better things. <laughs> but I am still a supporter of US cricket. I'm proud of uh, the, the things I'm reading about. I have had meetings with the leadership of USA cricket. I'm uh, a fan and a supporter. And if there's anything I can do, I've made it very clear to them. We've had some communications and, you know, I'm here. But I, I believe that um, my better days were behind if I can help with stadium development is what I do. I develop stadiums. That's my capability, developing stadiums and developing events for many, many different sports around the world. And you, you've talked about what I've been doing in the last few years here out of Miami Beach and just excited to be helpful to USA Cricket as they start their league. Uh, I made that clear. And that was going to be my last question before we get to the best 11 segment. What needs to happen from your standpoint uh, as an outside observer in terms of there's been plans and, and proposals for USA to co-host the T20 World Cup with Cricket West Indies, potentially hosting in 2028 or 2030 further down the road as part of the next uh, 2023 to 2031 ICC rights cycle. As somebody from, from your business point of view who is involved in stadium design, stadium renovation, facilitation work, have you had discussions with regards to this Air Hogs stadium that they've acquired? I know about Dallas? it. I know about I know the architects who are doing it, and they pulled in a first-class architectural firm in HKS, HKS who did the Dallas Cowboys stadium, who did uh, the Indianapolis Colts stadium, who did the Miami, Minnesota Vikings stadium, and, and I worked very closely with them on the Los Angeles Rams stadium. I mean, they're a wonderful firm. So uh, I have no doubt that they can take a baseball stadium that they've worked on before. I think they were maybe even the original architects and, and create something out of cricket. But I will tell you that there are more bad cricket stadiums around the world than good ones. And, and create, creating a sports complex in a circle and trying to make every stakeholder happy is difficult. And, and like I told you before, I believe I may have the most experience of developing new cricket stadiums than anybody in the world and I've made myself available. But you know what? I'm the ex-CEO of an old cricket organization, and, and, and maybe it's just best for me to be uh, 
uh, an alumni of U.S. cricket who looks back hopefully favorably and sees our team do well. But, you know, the thing that I want to see is I want to see professionalism in our team. I want to know that our players are being able to work out and play seven days a week. I want sponsorship that we can be proud of. I want to see international cricket played in the United States where also the U.S. national team gets to benefit. And if that's going to happen through the league that's been developed, great. I know there were other people who uh, had other ideas about how to professionalize cricket. And actually, I was part of a team uh, that was not successful um, in being selected by USA Cricket to develop a, a second, you know, an, an, a T20 league. And so uh, I just wish the Federation the best and I support them. And if there's any way I can be helpful, of course, I would, I would, I would absolutely raise my hand. So the door isn't closed. It's still slightly ajar that if the stadium design work or stadium renovations, you could potentially be somebody who would be willing to contribute in that way to USA Cricket and what they have got I'd going forward. Absolutely be willing to contribute. And my, the issue will be if somebody, you know, really would want me to contribute. That's always the, always the case. All right, Don Lockerbie, we've got the best 11, your favorite 11 coming up. First, the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast, sponsored by Dream Cricket. The Dream Cricket Pavilion Shop can help you with all your cricket kit requirements from top-of-the-line English willow bats made by all the top manufacturers, as well as helmets, gloves, pads, jerseys, highlights, DVDs, books, and more. Get 10% off all orders, $400 or more using coupon code DCUSA. That's DCUSA. Go to shop.dreamcricket.com to take advantage of that offer. Dream Cricket Academy is located at 400 Apgar Drive in Somerset, New Jersey, just a mile off of Exit 12 on Interstate 287. For more information, call 908-938-3787. That's dreamcricket.com. Don Ockerby's best 11. All right, here we go. Your favorite roommate in your athletic career. My brother, who was on the track and field team with me at University of North Carolina as well, and uh, it was lucky that we got to be athletes together at the same university. My brother, Kevin Lockerby. Kevin Lockerbie, okay. Same one pictured in that photo at the Penn Relays uh, Stony Brook High School. That would be correct. He's a 16 months younger, so 16 months younger and, and, and best friend. And what did he run? He ran the 400 and the 800 as well. It probably was uh, the best 600-yard runner uh, indoors was probably his best event. Your favorite stadium or the best stadium around the world or in the USA that you have not had anything to do with? From a designer consulting standpoint. In the world? Anywhere in the world. Best stadium you've been to, your favorite stadium that you have not touched from your business point of view. Well, that's a hard one, Peter. Because, you know, there's just so, I mean, I, I got no time here to come up with a fast answer. But it, it's going to be a, a, a ridiculous stadium. But it's the Letzegrund in Zurich, Switzerland. Maybe the best track and field stadium that I ever had the pleasure to be at. And where maybe some of the most fast times in the world are always run every summer in, in international track and field. Let's Grund in Zurich. Is that part of the Diamond Series? Is that what they call That's it? The Diamond Series. Absolutely. Zurich, Zurich's the, the kingpin of the Diamond Series. The nicest or the best cricket ground experience you've had overseas or in the USA? Which is the best facility in your eyes? I, I just thoroughly enjoyed the under 19 World Cup in Queens, where, Queenstown. Queenstown. In Queenstown, New Zealand, no grandstands, just an amazing pitch, a wonderful field with snow-capped mountains in the background and uh, the whole Queenstown experience for me. Now, that's just a, 
a playground of sport where cricket is played and, and was wonderful. I'll tell you that I thought, you know, what we did in uh, Kensington Oval is an experience that people should see in Barbados. Your favorite place to eat out on the road, this could be fast food, it could be a specific restaurant and you're in a particular city. What's your go-to place outside of Miami Beach? Outside of Miami Beach, wow. Well, it needs to be Italian or a steakhouse. And I guess it depends where I'm at. Let's leave it at Italian food I could eat every day and I cook it pretty damn well here. If you had a steakhouse, if, are you a Morton's, a Del Frisco or a Palm? Which one would you go to? I will tell you that that the, I'm a well-done steak eater. And, ah. the palm, and the palm knows how to make a well-done steak for me. You need a little bit of red in there. I'm a medium rare guy. I can't believe I just heard that. Never, never. It needs to be very, very charred and, and, and charcoal flavor for me. Are you a Coke or a Pepsi guy? Coke for sure. All right. You're, you're back in... <laughs> You're on the right team. All right. Coca-Cola all the way. Your favorite cricketer of all time. I think you said this before, but go for it again. Favorite cricketer. Wow. I had the honor to get to know Viv Richards. And if you had asked me before the World Cup if I had ever, if I could name five cricketers, um, the cricketers that I would name would be several West Indians and several English. But for me, I would just say that um, being in a room with Viv playing golf with Viv, working on the stadium that's named after him was wonderful. I got to know Brian Lahr a little bit years later, and I am very much in touch with Chris Gale even these days. But I guess the best friend that came out of the Cricket World Cup was Matthew Hayden. So I'm sorry, a few names there, different generations. But Viv Richards would be your 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 first one. I mean, he's the, he's the, the swagger of Viv Richards even to this day. You know, he's just the most interesting character. Your favorite non-cricket athlete of all time? Jim Ryan, the American record holder in the mile. Your favorite pizza topping? Oh, it has to be a mixture of pepperoni and Italian sausage. Your favorite movie of all time? Shawshank Redemption. Hope can kill a man. Hope is a dangerous thing in U.S. cricket in particular, Don. Your favorite show to binge watch on Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, HBO Max, or DVD box set. What do you binge watch? You can sit down for hours and hours. Oh, you're going to. My wife and I were separated by COVID by 162 days. And every night at nine o'clock, we would hit the Netflix at the same time to watch the exact same show and make sure that we could see it together and even be on the phone. There is a. 162 episode out of Turkey called Black Money Love. And if you haven't seen it, we wish we could start it all over again and watch it together. But there's just too many other things to do. So we binge watched during the COVID over 160 something days, 162 episodes. And we watched three or four a night. But Black Money Love, ladies and gentlemen, on Netflix. And here's the crazy part. Uh, we watched it, even though the original language is in Spanish and you can get it in English, excuse me, it's in Turkish. We watched it in Spanish. So I watched all 162 episodes with English subtitles. Now that's love. And Layla Lockerbie, I love you to death. And again, your wife is, is Peruvian, originally from that's Peru, correct. yeah. That's correct. Okay, last one. 
we mentioned Vegas before about plans for Vegas and U.S. cricket, and you were involved with the Las Vegas Raiders Stadium Project. So tell us, in your eyes, what is the best or your favorite casino in Vegas? I lose money every time I'm there, uh, but I guess the place I've stayed the most is Mandalay, uh, Mandalay Bay, I guess. It's the place I've stayed the most. I, I, I guess I'm going to say Mandalay Bay. Mandalay Bay, famous for a lot of boxing fights there, a lot of visits by Don Lockerbie. Well, that's it. A lot of, a lot of losses there. I, I don't do well in casinos. It's an amazing city for sure. Don Lockerbie, thank you so much for coming on the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket. I'll give you the final word. Anything you want to say about your career that we haven't heard about or about your experiences in cricket and what you feel people should know about how you feel about cricket I love the game. I'm a big fan. I watch it when I can on TV. I go to the websites. I try to keep up with it. I just wish it the best. I wish the U.S. players the best. Um, they may not know me anymore, but I tried to pave a professional way for them to go forward. And I, I wish nothing but the best for the current administration, the players, the teams. And uh, uh, I wish you well, Peter, too. The fact that you've lasted and you didn't get stoned in Nepal um by the gas or the uh, rocks you've done a great job and a great service to our sport and uh, i thank you and hopefully the stars and stripes podcast gets uh bigger and and, and well received for you and and your family keep it up and uh let's just keep hitting sixes well, there you have it. Don has certainly gone on to bigger and better things, that's for sure, since he left U.S. cricket. But as he said, the door is still open. With all the transformations that are happening and the attempts to professionalize cricket in the USA, there's plenty of stadiums and facilities that need to be built. And there's no better person in the sports world who has Don's range of experience to be able to help facilitate some of those stadiums and facilities to benefit American cricket. I want to thank Don so much for all the time he took He's very, very gracious. He's a very busy man, but he took the time to come on the show, and I'm very, very appreciative of that. And I want to remind everybody, if you missed the first two episodes in the Don Lockerbie trilogy, you can find them on YouTube or on Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. By all means, go back and watch and listen to them, because Don has some incredible stories to tell, not just about his journey in U.S. cricket, but his athletic career at North Carolina, his coaching career at North Carolina, other things he he's been involved with, whether it's FIFA World Cups, Olympics, the 2007 World Cup, you name it, Don has done just about everything you can imagine in the world of sports. That's it for today's episode. I'm Peter Dalpena. God bless America, and God bless American cricket.